Hello everyone, this is Martin Hugh. Welcome or welcome back to another episode of the show. My guest today is Cal Nelson. You can find him on Twitter at Cal P. Nelson. He is the founder of Mobo, which is a creator-owned storefront solution for anything Web3 and NFTs. Through Mobo, he's built Pudding, which is the official marketplace for Moonbirds and the proof ecosystem in general. Kyle is someone I've been fortunate enough to connect with in the space for the past year or so. And having worked at some of the biggest Web2 companies such as Amazon, to me, he's always had a very thoughtful perspective as to how to make Web3 more user-friendly and bring forth increased adoption. In this episode, we cover a wide variety of topics starting with his personal background and then moving on to the stuff he's currently working on with regards to Mobo. We also talk AI, marketing, empowering creators, and much more. Excited to share this one with you today. So without further ado, please enjoy my convo with Kyle Nelson. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Martin. Good to see you. I wanted to um, to start the episode with a background story of yours to give people a bit of context of what brought you to the space and then dive into what you're currently building with uh, Mobo and Pudding. Yeah, absolutely. So my background at, is in consumer technology, working at uh, both some high-growth high startups like uh, Uber and a company called Savored in the restaurant space, uh, as well as in at Amazon. And so I've been in tech for the majority of my whole career after I, I fled finance uh, the first year out of college, uh, which is also when I found Bitcoin, but I fled finance and I was like, I don't want to touch finance ever again. Uh, fled to consumer technology, largely at uh, companies that you could call technology marketplace companies, taking advantage of what was enabled by mobile and the internet. And that that was really brought me up until 2022 uh, in terms of career-wise. Uh, in terms of getting into the NFT space, I had been in crypto for a while, but mainly as a somebody who was investing periodically into Bitcoin, but not somebody who was really in the space from a day-to-day -day perspective. But with NFTs, the consumer applications of this new technology really piqued my interest and brought me into crypto from a, an attention perspective and, and ultimately how you know, I plan to spend the next 10, 20 years or, or however long I make it, uh, hopefully a little longer than that, I suppose. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, so the consumer applications of NFTs, like specifically, like when I think of, you know, before working at Amazon, I actually, what I liked working at an Amazon or an Uber or Savored was that there was a, you know, an end consumer that was was touching the product in some way, whether that was a ride or a restaurant reservation or buying something online. And so with NFTs, the art that is uh, part of these tokens or the objects, digital objects that is this token represents uh, really drew my attention in because it, it was had that consumer touch and that connection to another individual or brand. So that's something that's super important to me when I look back at my career was like, I, you know, starting in finance and kind of working in this like office office environment where you're moving money around. I was like, well, I want to work on things that actually touch, you know, individual people's lives. And I can actually, um, you know, measure that and see that and experience the product. And so that would be the, you know, consistent, consistent theme. Getting into the NFT space and, and seeing that connection was a 
you know, chaotic experience, I think in early 2021 and, and, you know, during the, right. really the hype cycle that I guess is getting, getting farther away every day. Man, I miss those days. <laughs> Do you? I don't know. There's, there's actually like, I actually find a lot of like comfort in terms of like, in terms of, you know, as a founder and like build in the space where it's like, okay, like we're thinking, you know, 10 years out, five years out, two years out and like building for that as much to, you know, um, you know, th there's a lot of fun in those days, but it's also like the, like people minting something every hour and there being a new thing every day is, uh, you know, that's I agree. A, like a different vibe. <laughs> it was, it, it was pretty stressful too, just because you always felt like you needed to keep up with something. You're like, if you went to sleep and then you woke up, you're like, Oh my God, there's like eight projects that minted. I, I missed all these things, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was talking to somebody last week who was like, yeah, I had my alarms at like 2am and 5am and my wife was like ready to kick me out of the house. <laughs> it's like, I didn't, I didn't go that far, but, uh, uh, you know, it was definitely, definitely took a lot of attention and, and was fun and really drew me into the space, like, you know, in seeing a lot of the innovation that was happening. What was your first NFT? My first NFT was a ferocious, uh, artifacts. Uh, okay, cool. The, the shoes, which as somebody who, yeah, like I have a good, good number of sneakers and like, that was like, oh, this is very cool. And it also is tied to a physical object. So I guess in some ways, like, you know, very much, very much spoke to me. What was it? What was your first NFT, Martin? Uh, VFriend. VFriend. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, a lot of people got onboarded by Gary through his, you know, um, and, and, you know, the, the thing that was cool with what he did was that that was my first sense of an NFT having mostly utility with a dash of like art. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of utility and then art is obviously tied to the token, but I, it opened up a, a whole new perspective for me. Like instead of just seeing NFTs as JPEGs and which, right. which at the time, like when you first got in, you just saw pictures of monkeys and, you know, toads and stuff. And you're like, well, what, what does that really do? Yeah, no. It, and, and I guess the, uh, the, the monkeys is what, uh, 99% of people that consume, you know, the mainstream press still see to this day, <laughs> you know, which is the, which is the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the crazy numbers, which are, you know, well, attention grabbing headlines, right? Like it's like uh, a picture of an ape sold for, $2 million or something. And people just read that and they have a certain connotation or perspective on what NFTs are. Yeah. A hundred percent. And and now, now it's like, uh, actually my wife, my wife showed me something. She's on Instagram of like an ether rock that was like sold for 500,000. It was like, this is worth like 1% of what it was, you know, that content's still <laughs> out there and it's like a, you know, you can find a lot of humor in it, or at least I do. But uh, I think it, it is also both a blessing and a curse of the NFT space. And that it, as a fundamentally financialized asset that mm -hmm. is permissionlessly traded, it's very easy to measure. Whereas like, you know, you, you don't see, you know, articles about how like Google overhired by like 80,000 people and like that lost a lot of people money in their like pension funds and like the ETFs right. that they hold and people being like Google is down because they hired too many people. Like you see, you know, the financial earning side, but it's like way much more both the like the JPEG attached to it and the fact that it's like so measurable and so direct just makes it like uh, gives it much better headlines, I guess, which is uh, both a blessing and a curse, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned a good point um, earlier, which is that at that time, everything was moving so fast and there was like these crazy expectations, which don't get me wrong today, there are still expectations of financial gains, 
But back then it was just blown out of proportion. So my, where I want to lead this is like as a founder uh, building Mobo, how are you planning in the current ecosystem? How are you planning over the next six months, the next year, the next two years or 10 years? Well, first of all, like maybe develop on what Mobo is and like, where do you see that going? Yeah, absolutely. So Mobo is what we're building is the single place for digital asset creators and brands to manage their business. So the home base, if you will, for them to manage all aspects of their business, both that connection with their collectors, their audience, and then also tools that they may need on a day-to-day basis. So uh, really trying to, our customers are those creators and brands and trying to help make their lives easier. So, you know, fundamentally, it's if we can make their lives easier, they can spend more time creating and less time, you know, managing, you know, being a full stack business <laughs> provider with without tools, then, you know, we've done our job well. So, yeah, that, that that's what we're building in terms of the, you know, long term outlook and, you know, what led me here. I really I kicked a lot around a lot of different ideas and, you know, some of them, I think, uh, <laughs> it's like uh, I should try to delete the Google Doc, or you know that I that I that I, during 2021 I was like you know thinking of exploring in this space. Um, mm-hmm. What I really when I boiled down to what I was building for Movo was like okay, what is true you know five years, ten years from now, regardless of prices, regardless of volume, regardless of Market uh, a number of different factors, and it's that people are going to be creating digital assets. Uh, and they're going to be selling them to people and people like to collect things and people will be collecting those assets. Two is that, uh, you know, expanding on the people like to collect things, it's that the digital identity is an increasingly important part of an individual. And that's been true since the internet launched and will only become more true. And so collecting is part of your identity. That's going to be true regardless of whether price go up, price go down, regardless of headlines about monkey JPEGs, et cetera, um, people are going to create things. It's, it's innate and people are going to collect things. That's also innate. And so how do you build software that helps those people and makes their lives easier? And that may be something that is like more hypes during a bull market and less hypes during a bear market, but it's always going to be true that People are going to want their lives to be easier <laughs> and yep. they're going to create these things and they're going to collect these things. So that that's never going away. And I, I really, you know, often when you when you talk to friends, it's always, you know, I'm asked this question. It's like NFTs, like that's 2021. Like, why are you why are you pivoting to AI? Like, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, hey, these are always true. I didn't start this. I didn't start this for that reason. And 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 also there are AI winters, too. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, whatever you read in the headlines is what's, uh, you know, the current thing, I suppose. So. Yeah, that's really led me here. Try, really trying to think forward five, ten years and be like, okay, what is true, and then how do we work towards building that? And I, I'm super bullish long term on this space growing. I think it's reasonable that digital commerce is going to vastly overcome physical commerce um, mm-hmm. as people have more discretionary income and are wanting to spend on their digital identity uh, versus their physical identity. So I'm I'm optimistic long term, but the short term it's just a, a a voting machine, not a weighing machine, I suppose. Yeah, and it's crazy how easy it made collecting. 
right? Because I was not necessarily an art collector uh, before NFTs, but now mm -hmm. that like I got into the space and you know I get to learn more about different artists and different uh, communities, it's way easier to buy something on the blockchain and then tr you know something that's easily tradable too, and you can just carry everywhere in your wallet instead of getting like a physical piece of art. Which don't get me wrong, like it's it's awesome to decorate the house, but it's also I guess a bigger commitment in a sense. So I, I think it changed the relationship with art for many people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the the blessing of having this open ledger and this permissionless distribution of these goods is just a objectively better than traditional or physical art collecting in how convenient it is to collect and to sell. Right. Uh, I collect physical art. My mother-in-law runs a great art gallery here in Austin. And I think that both are great, but the digital assets in Enable is a really a new, you know, economy and, and makes makes some things much better than uh, physical collecting. And I, and I love that all of these things, you can show them wherever you are in the world. You know, unless I really come to your home, I'm not going to know really in what art are you into. But here, yeah. you know, if in the future, and this is kind of um, something I'm curious about, if you're thinking about this with Mobo, but do you envision this becoming some sort of social platform for creators and collectors where uh, I guess like you can get to learn about a collector just by going onto their profile? Is that something you're thinking about or? Yeah. Yeah. So you said a, a, a few things there. I think the the thing about, you know, your physical identity and, and bringing that there, I use the example with, especially with, and I'm into wine and I use the example of like, we well, can't bring people love showing off their wine cellar. <laughs> uh, when, you, when you go to their house, and, but you know, for many of them, they don't plan on ever drinking that wine. But with having it natively on the internet, that enables you showcasing that part of your identity with, you know, not with wine, but with art. In terms of the social platform, I it's actually what's important to me about the tools that we build is that they are portable and creator owned and not tied to a specific like social network. And so originally, when we first launched, we launched with a Lincoln Bio tool, uh, mm -hmm. which I really like Lincoln Bio. There's many of them out there, and we've evolved since then. But it's the you know one piece of a individual's identity that they kind of port across social networks. And so websites are great for that reason. Email is great for that reason, and that like it's decentralized <laughs> and mm -hmm. natively uh, in terms of uh, that being you know part of somebody's identity and. I do think that there's opportunity to layer in the social aspect of learning about a creator, of a creator telling about themselves, of them offering tools to their collectors to interact with them. But it's also very important to me that what we're building is not a aggregator platform that everybody has to sign into to use and is kind of a centralized, um, you know, cathedral. <laughs> but it's something that, you know, is proliferated throughout whatever touch points those individuals have when they communicate and transact with other people. And so I think there are social aspects, but it's definitely something that it's important to me. It's the creators have the control over what that means for their individuals. And it's not just a, you know, a page that is part of this like network that you then change and you can change terms on them. Like I think that really giving them the tools to bring their identity where they want it to is part of the, the framework and intention. <laughs> 
So walk us through what that looks like. Let's say I'm a digital creator. I'm an artist. Basically, I can create my own profile on on Mobo. I could create my own page and let's say like almost like a storefront and I yeah. could like display. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So, so you can think about it as a Squarespace or Shopify like experience where you have control over the content and collections that show on your storefront and will also have uh, different you know templates to pick from in terms of how you want to showcase your identity. And so you are able to create that storefront and you're able to manage that as you see fit. So like for example, if you didn't like your profile picture or your you know wanted to add a new social, like that's all configurable with no code. It's not something that is going through. Uh, you have mm-hmm. to you have to talk to us directly. And so managing both the collections and content and then uh, what we're building out the rest of this year is bringing additional tools to those creators that they may or may not want and will have the option to have as part of their storefront or the creator facing tools. And so kind of touching on the point that I said, you know, in terms of like creator sovereignty, one of my theses is that all of these, it's very easy when people look at NFTs to be like, oh, they're all the same, right? But many of these artists are different in terms of how they, the, both what they're selling and then how they want to communicate with their audience. And so what we need to do is bring them the tools and the suite of tools and they can say, oh, yes, I would like that one. Like, yes, I want to provide a physical of all of the art that I sell if you own the token. Or yes, I want to have prints or maybe I don't. Or maybe I want to offer rewards to collectors who have collected all five of my different collections. And those different tools that we provide them is going to be, you know, 100%, you know, opt in. And and really, I, I think a lot of that will come, most of that will come from creators coming to us and saying, I want this, or I've built this. <laughs> and mm-hmm. can we actually make it easier for me to manage this different process, whatever that is? Yeah, because it can become, I'm guessing it can become pretty complex as you add layers of involvement in a certain community or project. Like, you know, let's say you need to have three tokens from the artist to access a certain collection that they're dropping. Would that yeah. would that be possible, let's say, on Mobo? Is that things that you're thinking about? Yeah, that's those are things that we're thinking about. But I think that it's really up to the creator whether they want to offer those things. I think that... In the current landscape, the concept of you know loyalty and rewards is something that has taken on, I guess, a new narrative as opposed to just like airdrops for holding something, right? It's like, how do we mm. create customer loyalty and incentivize people to collect our tokens or to spend their attention in this community? And I think there's myriad ways in which that will evolve. But then for some artists and individual creators, they may say, I actually like, I just want to, I just want to create art and sell it. I don't want to have this baked in like, you know, reward scheme. I just want to create art and I'll sell it. And like, that's good enough for me. And so both of those different profiles exist. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on the individual. It's cool to give people an option to be able to display whatever their art or their project is in their own storefront, because then you can model it to however you you feel like your brand should look like. Because let's say compared to an OpenSea, you feel like you're just listing something on eBay or Amazon, right? Like, whereas here it's some customized Shopify that you can, you know, guide your your audience through. A hundred percent. And it's... I, you know, spent five years at Amazon and like, and I, in that business and like, 
it provides a lot of value for customers because you can find whatever you want and you can get it they can get it to you fast and like the things you're generally buying on there are things that have some utility whether that's like a banana or like a tv it's like okay i know what i want like i can get it there it's delivered to me quickly that's great digital objects are very different from that in that what people are selling maybe everything from a a profile picture community that is like a meme which is a great valid use case to a high-end one-of-one art and generally on amazon you don't you, you don't see like they've tried very hard to like woo the like oscar de la rentas and like all these brands and like launch these products that are like amazon luxury but at the end of the day, you still are going to the Amazon.com site and the like branding is still there. And it's like, nah, it's very different than like going to like, you know, Louis Vuitton or Hermes and like buying through them. And there's a reason for that. It's just, it's, it's a very hard user experience problem for a company to crack because they're built to get sellers and products that fit into their system as opposed to meeting people where they are. Or by people, I mean, creators or businesses or merchants and solving their needs, which is something that, you know, Shopify has done very successfully for, for e-commerce and I, you know, for digital objects and there's even more opportunity and more differentiation depending on what people are selling. And so it, yeah, it's their brand. It's, it's, you know, security having your identity. And it's like, this is where you go. I mean, I don't know about you, Martin, but when I collect something from like an artist, like generally the way that I find it is by like going to the artist's Twitter or their discord. And I'm like, yeah. where is the link? <laughs> Cause if I search, I'm like, wait, there's like 15 different iterations of this. I don't know exactly what it is. Like what's the volume? Like there's all these different things. And, and that's scary for, for you and I that have been in this space for, you know, a while now yeah. <laughs> in terms of onboarding, you know, new customers. And, and that's really how the, the economy has evolved anyway, like the creator economy and that like people buy, through other people <laughs> and because they trust them. Mm. And so individuals have a platform, they're able to have their own brand and people trust them more than they trust corporations. There's no better example than the uh, Mr. Beast Burger, which I don't know if you have in Montreal, <laughs> but you know, just a national restaurant chain based on Mr. Beast brand. And it's, I've had it multiple times. It's actually, it's very good. <laughs> and, but I wouldn't have tried it if it wasn't Mr. Beast because I know who Mr. Beast is. So I, I don't right. know. Have you tried it? <laughs> I haven't tried it, but I want to try it. Um, it is also his chocolate, right? Oh, I didn't know if he had chocolate. I, didn't I feel know. like he's going to have everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that what they, they actually, this is a bit of a tangent, but I think that they actually have like Mr. Beast Burger at night. And then they have this like breakfast store <laughs> that's like on like DoorDash and delivery. And it's a different brand. I, I think this is what I figured out. Cause it's like the bun, they're like reusing everything. <laughs> and so, yeah, he's going to have everything. Mr. Beast was like the OG of creating airdrops. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. He's, he pioneered the air, airdrops. And yeah, and so, I mean, if you look outside of NFTs, because I, and I think it's important to do that because a lot of times it's, you know, in terms of messaging, it's easier for people to be like, this is pie in the sky stuff that I don't care about. And it's like, no, this is the economy works this way. And, you know, for consumer products and experiences already, in that people are transacting peer, peer to peer and they trust people more than they trust brands. And mm. there's no reason that would change when it comes to digital objects. 
this might be a a dumb question, but it just popped into my mind. Um, do you think it's possible to do referral links with NFTs? Yeah, I think I think it is. And it, it, well, it definitely is, and it's been uh, it's been experimented with before. But I, I'm not sure. So it's definitely not a dumb question. It's been experimented with before, I think, by like Super Rare and maybe Manifold has done some experimentation with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how well it's worked, but I think that there there is opportunity to do that for sure. At the end of the day, I feel like it's, you know, whether you're a creator or you're a collector or you're someone that's part of the community, the main goal is to have aligned incentives, right? Yeah. And anything that can incentivize people to have more loyalty towards your brand or incentivize people to introduce your brand to uh, their friends and family is a win-win. Yeah, 100%. And I think that traditional airdrop farming has kind of had the intention of expanding the community, but it's also, or not airdrop farming, like airdrops to like collections. And it's like, oh, now you have a mutant ape because you have an ape. And I think, it, you know, having that intention, but then, you know, because it's inherently financialized, it's also people uh, make trade-offs. And a recent example of this is, is uh, friendship bracelets. And the idea mm-hmm. uh, Eric had behind that was, which is like a very good one. And I think still, you know, will, will come true over time is that you, I think you got two. And then I was like, give one to like your friend. And the idea of friendship bracelets, creating a connection between individuals. Well, it turned out that like, because it was, you know, art blocks and like these, they were worth like $900 and a lot of people started trading them and they're farming them. And so like these things that, that have this intention of being like a very, um, and are, and are awesome art. And I think the story is wonderful because they're worth $900. Like people started, you know, selling them. But I think that I'm, there's ways that can both, you know, referral links, but also perhaps incentivizing tokens as a, as a gift in terms of expanding the community, as opposed to it immediately being financialized that I think we'll see emerge over time. So right now with Mobo, um, who can apply to use the platform? Is it live? And if people want to learn more about it, like what's the best way? Yeah. So if uh, Mobo.xyz, uh, you can sign up have a wait list. So you sign up, put in your email and I'll be in touch. Uh, you can, so mobo.xyz and then you can find Mobo on Twitter and you can find me on Twitter at uh, Kyle P. Nelson. DM me is the best way to get started. And then uh, over the next few months, it'll be, we're, we're really aiming for it to be like two clicks sign up, but we're not quite there yet. Okay. Awesome. And um, it's simple drag and drop, right? Like you don't need to know anything about code or, you know, no, to use mobile. No code. No code, drag and drop. You input your collections, and we'll we'll do our best, really, to based on your signup information to guess, <laughs> and then you can edit as you see fit. And the link, the link that would be for the the storefront, is it like mobo.xyz slash uh, I don't know, like Kyle Nelson, or yeah, yeah. So so there will actually be two forms. So you mobo.xyz slash yeah, Kyle Nelson, Justin Aversano, uh, like uses our Lincoln bio product and that's our bio product, but that will be one instance of a storefront. And then also the option to have that on your own domain too. So think like a store.justinaversano.com. And so if somebody wants to have their, you know, that fully branded on their own store, then that'll be an option, which I think a lot of people will be excited about because they have their own sites already. 
Do, do you think like it's possible to embed it in an iframe or something? Let's say I have martinhugh.com. Is it possible to for me to create an iframe and then embed the MOBO storefront in my website or... I, that's not something that we, I've thought about, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely <laughs> something that's possible in terms of like, okay, how do we showcase and embed it? I think that we have looked into like WordPress plugins before. I think that it's not something that we will support right now, but maybe we should. Is that what you want? You want to iframe with your, uh, it's just, you know, let, let's say if I was able to create my, let's say I have eight different art pieces and I just want like a simple Shopify kind of experience, but I want it to be all aggregated on my website. I could, I could definitely see something that's just like a plugin or an embed yeah. or whatnot that, that has those eight items on my website. Right. Yep. Yep. That's not something we do now, but, but uh, maybe we should, if you, if you want to be, want to be a customer, Martin, I, uh, <laughs> we have, we have looked a little bit into WordPress plugins and there's like some complexity there. But, you know, in line with the ethos of like what we're building, it's, you know, we want to meet people where they are. So if they want to embed it versus like having a subdomain on their site, then that's definitely an option that we should pursue. And with Mobo, can you actually create a smart contract? Do you like, let's say you're an artist, uh, are you going to partner with someone like Manifold or how, how does that work? Yeah, so, so there's no minting right now i think that manifold is an amazing company and has done a really good job proliferating that and making it easy for artists to uh, mint amongst do a number of other things however what we will build in the future is the ability to you know whether it's a manifold or another provider bring that functionality into the creator facing platform mm -hmm. and so emphasizing that if we can make a creator's life better and that means that a, and a partner or a company out there has a very well-functioning product, then that's an opportunity for us to partner with them or to bring it into our platform and then to distribute it to artists like for you know free, because that's just a convenience factor. Mm -hmm. That's really, you know, in a number of ways, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great tools out there. Manifold has no problem, like has, has reached a, the, the market and providing these tools to artists. And, but there are a lot of other tools out there, uh, companies that have built these tools that are great and they, but they're, you know, approaching customers, you know, one by one and they have this, you know, marketing problem as, as you know, it's like, how do we reach these yeah. customers? And so if we can provide a integration to bring those tools to artists and artists can pick and choose and say, okay, I would like the token redemption for physical feature. And that's something that somebody has built already and they want to proliferate it, then that's a very good opportunity for us to make artists life better and bring value to those development studios that have built these tools and are looking for customers to use it. Yeah, it's cool. It's like, it's almost like a WordPress kind of plugin. Yeah, WordPress plugin and, and or you know App Store, I guess, has a dirty word. I mean, maybe it'll be uh, or is, is somewhat of a dirty word these days, given that they get the Apple tax. But uh, or even <laughs> you know maybe a ChatGPT uh, plugin. Uh, oh, I'm yet to experience with those, but that's that is something that like you know is a far off dream. But in the future of mine, it's like okay, well, if you can embed functionality into a linguistic user interface and somebody can say, I want all the tokens that my customers own, or they can say, what features do you have? And that's a plugin that they can build it with language. Then there's no reason that we wouldn't do that, provided it, it makes their lives 
more convenient than the alternative, right? And so that's a pipe dream in these early early GPT days, Martin. But uh, it is something I was talking with somebody about last week. I was like, maybe this is just a, is a is an LLM that we embed <laughs> and people are able to ask questions and we're able to provide these tools provided that somebody has built it out there or just answer analytics questions. Yeah, it's wild. Um, the adoption of AI and how, you know, you mentioned it earlier, but like people talking about NFTs, we saw that, okay, the adoption is quick, it's quick. And then AI came over and it's like, uh, what is it now at more than a hundred million users and yeah. no, not even a, a year. It's pretty yep. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think that What's interesting about it too is that that's been, you know, OpenAI was founded in 2015. So when these adoption and these hype cycles, it's easy to be like, this is the new thing. And it's like, well, this has been, a, you know, eight years of like hard work. And there's a lot, you know, and a lot of failure, AI winters that go into this. And then, you know, the adoption is there because the immense utility it provides to, to, to people. But uh, it's something that's been, you know, been worked on for, for a long time. Are you using uh, ChatGPT uh, frequently? Are you one of the 100 million? <laughs> I'm one of the 100 million, but I'm trying to experiment a bit more with uh, everything that's like mid-journey and you know creating, creating mm -hmm. art with AI. I think that's fascinating. ChatGPT, I'm using mostly to draft birthday cards and stuff. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I actually used it. I used it uh, uh, this week to uh, meal plan. And oh. And I gave parameters about how much like dietary preferences, how long I wanted meals to take to prepare and iterated a few times and then said, okay, great. Can you turn that into a shopping list? <laughs> and then yeah. and that worked well. And so your birthday cards, I mean, I mean, uh, you're reminding me of her because I think that that's uh, Joaquin Phoenix's job is writing letters to each other and her, uh, which is kind <laughs> of like a meta about the whole AI uh, thing in, uh, in her, that movie. But uh, I don't think it's an invalid use case to write the birthday cards, as long as your stamp of approval is on it, you know? <laughs> exactly. It, it, was, it was written with my prompts. <laughs> yeah, it was written, yeah, written with my prompts. Exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a new world. I don't know. <laughs> That's what fascinates me. It's like everything is moving so fast. We thought that NFTs were moving fast. Now with AI, it's going to be even faster. How do you, um, how have you been using like uh, AI in your daily life? Do you feel like it's augmented your you code, right? So how how does that affect your coding? Like has it enhanced it? And how do you see it being like something that levels the playing field for everyone? Yeah, yeah. So I do really feel like it's a an iPhone type moment, which I think uh, I think Gary on your podcast also mentioned uh, last week, and and he talked about the. Uh, uh, drinking beer, a beer. <laughs> beer being the first app. And so like you see right now, it's like a lot of people, it's like, oh, I'm meal planning. And some, some people may be like, oh, cool. Like I just go to the grocery store, but like there, there's a, you know, experimentation and people are finding these use cases. You can find, you know, uh, funny and some horrifying uh, things that, that come out of it, but people are trying to figure out exactly what it does. Well, I'm using it. I've kind of adopted a, you know, GPT first approach in terms of like working things just as a, a forcing function for myself to see where it can make me more productive and make our company more productive. And so coding is, is one way where it's, uh, whether it's auditing, uh, code or doing a review or it's writing from scratch, 
and really pair programming, I think is, is helpful along with Copilot or even just, you know, asking questions that you may want to ask somebody who's, you know, much stronger developer or engineer than you, you can be like, okay, as opposed to texting my buddy, I'll just ask GPT-4 and like maybe get there. And so, you know, that's one way. And then, you know, I actually have different chats set up for different work streams. And so in iterating on design and development, uh, finance and like taxes, which, you know, I, I do not trust. I, I make sure that I you know, go go a layer <laughs> above, but I have different chats that I that I'm using in the end uh, with within the UI because then it has context of previous questions, and so I, I've really taken that approach to go to GPT first, and then also for myself, if there's things where I'm like, well, I don't know how to do that, and that'll take me a day to learn how to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to remind myself, I'm like, actually, you know, even simple things like sign up process or like different APIs that are out there. It's like, well, I can survey GPT-4 and I'll probably get directionally there faster. So I think it's it's helped in a number of ways and in, in areas of weakness and getting from like, I am would not consider myself a software engineer by any stretch of the imagination, but I have enough technical skills, have done enough like coding courses that I'm like, okay, I, I know what I'm working with here. And GPD-4 has, has made things that it would take me two days to do and maybe a, a great developer two hours to do, right? And it's enabled me to do them in th- four hours, you know? And so I think that that's, there's a lot of, a lot of benefits there. And as a founder, I think that it's a unique opportunity to for companies to be lean and to see uh, explore how they can leverage this technology to be more productive. And it's it's a unique opportunity in that a company with 250 people, it's going to be hard for them to be like everybody use GPT four instead of doing this and like try to figure out how many people they need to to really get the job done. Right? Like that's just a it's a hard battle for large companies, and also there's more concerns about like data and things along those lines if you're at like an Amazon or a Facebook. And so it's a really unique opportunity for smaller startups that are coming in with, uh, you know, have, you know, a small number of people to say, okay, what if we first principles kind of view how we're working is, is complemented by these AI tools. And before we go out and build in X or Y, Z process, Let's see if we can leverage not just the like chat, but also extensions that are popping up out there that can automate different areas of your workflows. You know, I'm excited about it. And I think that not just from a productivity perspective, but what it can do for healthcare problems and for climate change and the technology, it's also very scary because who knows, you know, what's what's going to happen on the other side. But the genie is uh, out of the bottle. And so I'm just trying to to really use it as much as possible for things that can that can make me more productive. Uh, what do you think? Are you, are you scared of uh, the looming AI, AI apocalypse? I think we're always scared of what we're not used to. It was the mm-hmm. same thing when social media came out or the, the internet came out. People are like, I think people underestimated like how much adoption these things would get. Yeah, but then eventually, like if you're first to move on something, you can take advantage of it. You know, like you were mentioning, instead of you know, as a small business, I think founders can learn to utilize tools like quicker than big companies can. So you move quicker, you have an advantage, and then by the time everybody gets on, you're already super well versed with it. Like it's the same thing with um, social media back then. Like I literally like um, 
I started like being on Facebook and Instagram and growing accounts uh, during like, I think 2012 or something. And mm-hmm. that was the same time I started my marketing agency. And like, I still remember back then, like people were like, well, why would a business ever be on social media? Right? Like why, yeah, why would I, yeah. why would I put my restaurant on Facebook? Like Facebook is just for friends and family. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it's the same thing here with AI. Like at first people, you were saying like, it's going to be very mundane things like, Hey, uh, design a meal plan for me. But eventually with all the plugins that are going to happen, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be able to talk to your phone and just say like, Hey, um, find me the th- best three options for restaurants around me. I'm thinking of uh, Japanese food between this price range. Do they have tables available for 630? And it's just yeah. going to be able to like give you that information pretty quickly. And you're like, okay, uh, that's five minutes away. Okay. Book it for me. You know, that kind of stuff. A hundred percent. And I, I think that like, my wife and I talk with traveling is like a good example where it's like the kayak and Expedia's of the world. And like the internet made it so much easier and like cheaper to discover like hotels. But also like when you plan a trip, sometimes you're like, Oh my goodness, like I'm having information <laughs> overload. And you know, I, it's like, remember the day when you like just called like a travel agent, right. And they were just like, Here, here's what you're doing. And I think that this kind of blends sort of that functionality where you can express preferences in a way that, that makes it uh, more conversational. I will say on the note of social media, I think what's, what is, what is interesting is that it's important that it wasn't like Google or Facebook to come out with this functionality first. And I think that if you listen to Sam Altman, the, the founder, one of the founders of OpenAI, and his like, he has a very measured approach and talking about the risks and uh, where it's going forward and being very, and they have different, their business model and entity structure is a little bit different. And it's interesting to me reflecting on like the tech era of 2010 when with social media and kind of this like move fast and break things and the disruptors and these now, you know, CEOs that are giants that kind of came in and just disrupted these industries. And now this new disruptive technology is kind of taking this very different approach to what we saw be successful in the 2010s and ultimately come with like what a lot of big tech companies are dealing with today, which is that people are are not big fans of them. And they're kind of viewed as these like gorillas in the room. Right. Mm. So it's kind of this weird, I've been thinking about like the CEOs and like kind of the whole disruption in 2010. And then uh, with open AI, there's this uh, very like, good guy approach, which, you know, who knows how that will all pan out, but it's a very much more measured than the ways that a lot of internet companies and social media companies operated and trying to like get everywhere as fast as possible and like the rules be damned. So it's kind of an interesting new era and inflection point viewing them through that lens, uh, which we'll see. We'll see how well it works. I don't know. <laughs> True. I hope we don't get ads on chat GPT. These are going to be the, we're going to look back at these days and we're like, oh, we can do a search without seeing a, a pop-up of a restaurant that paid for, you know, for an I know, I know. Yeah. It'll be like sponsored for your Japanese dinner that, that meets <laughs> the Omakase requirements. Yeah. I really hope that that's not where, not where it goes. <laughs> but I feel it's inevitable because as a marketer, there's, <laughs> I don't remember like who said this, but uh, I think it might be Seth Godin, but you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like he said, like marketers ruin everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the benefit of it, which I think Mark, Mark Zuckerberg has gotten in a tiff with like Tim Cook about, about the free and advertising model benefit of it is that everybody can use it and the ads subsidize people using it. And so 
Uh, I would, if GPT-5 was out, I would pay hundreds of dollars a month for it. That is something I'm fortunate enough to be able to, and a, a, you know, what I would think is like a good business decision for me and personal decision, but that would prevent a lot of other people from using the technology. So there are trade-offs. I mean, not all ads are, you know, as much as I, you know, use ad blockers and don't like them, it is, it does help make products free for people. Um, so for sure. it comes, it cuts both ways. That's the the conversation I've always been adamant about whenever I hear people complaining about Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is. And they're, they're saying, well, you know, now my reach whenever I do a post isn't as much. And, you know, they're taking advantage of us as users and everything. And I'm like, the platform is free. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. you're, you're not paying anything for it. <laughs> Right. You can right. You can build your audience with it and then you can create an email list out of it where it's just going to be a protocol that you can own, a list that you can own and just market to endlessly without paying anything, but like this is just a springboard to that. Right. No, exactly. So there, you know, I really hope ChatGPT doesn't have it, but I do think that if I think like globally and like about the power that it has, I do think that it's something that I hope that does not have significant cost barriers for people to use because I do think that it is powerful enough that it is going to enable people to be more productive, make a lot of money using it, and that can exacerbate some of the societal problems just by by a product of like having that tool. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll have to live with the uh, you know sponsored. Uh, McDonald's ad in my Japanese, uh, you know, or our, our Japanese omakase <laughs> query. <laughs> we like, do you? <laughs> They're really good with it. Like one one app that I feel is amazing with ads is Uber because every time like I go to the grocery store and I'm like I'm ready, I bought some things, and then Uber just comes out with a promotion. It's like uh, you know, reward yourself today, you know, with two for yeah. one or something, and and these pop up notifications are definitely a. Uh, they're they're working. <laughs> well, and I, I I think that there is interesting opportunity with with content generation and AI technology to level the playing field there, and ha- and along with tokens to level the playing field in terms of not having that data that makes it very easy to like do a targeted ad be gatekept by a company on their centralized services. Like Amazon makes tens of billions of dollars from advertising now. Um, and that's because they have very rich data that about people that helps target people for ads. So hopefully there there's also a you know a combination with uh, these tools that is strikes the balance between you know the value that people that are creating this content provide and like that data living on a centralized database that you know then enables profiteering. I guess <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> You know what I find freaky is whenever I have a conversation with a friend or family and eventually like I go onto YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, and then I see an ad about what we talked about. Yeah, I have a very specific memory of doing that with uh, I was walking with my wife in Charleston. We like walked by a store and she was like, I really like that dress. <laughs> and <laughs> We walked away and it was like an hour later, she got targeted for the exact same dress on Instagram. Oh my and God. Like, you're like, wait, like what is going on here? 
So yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's a, that's a little much, but uh, <laughs> privacy is important. <laughs> True. Do you have an example of that? Was there, or do you not want to share something that you were targeted for? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it wasn't anything like crazy. It was just I think I was I was talking about a specific car model with my friends. So I was like, ah, oh, this one is really cool and everything, and my friend kind of showed it to me on his phone, mm. and then eventually, like a couple of hours later, I get back to my place and I get the same ad like on my phone. So that yeah. kind of freaked out. It's not like I, I searched anything, you know? Yeah. And it's something, you know, 10 years ago, I think that people would kind of claim it's following you, you know, it's following you. Not, not just it's following. Like now it's definitely, they're definitely following you, but it would be like, it would be like, how does it know that I talked about this? And I was like, well, like you probably are profiled as somebody who talks about things. It's not like it's like listening to you. These days, I, you know, I, <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard to sell. Yeah. Yeah. This, these days, it's pretty hard to sell. Like, it's like, yeah, probably is listening to you. <laughs> to, to get us back on track uh, a little bit with what you're building. So we talked about Mobo. Tell us a bit more about what Pudding is and what you're doing with the Proof team. Yeah. So, so Pudding is the community marketplace for everything Moonbirds and Proof. Proof is a art centric NFT community. Uh, that partners with top artists to launch, uh, you know, amazing projects like Grails as an example. And they have some coming up next, including next week with people. And so uh, Mobo launched Pudding for that community to represent both the, you know, the collections that Proof Team has launched, but also of all the artists that they partner with. And so really the goal for Pudding is to be that curated storefront for the proof community so that if you're a collector in that community or you're you can find the best of that ecosystem and have a curated experience or if you're an artist that partner with the community then you're then featured as an artist on pudding and so it's called pudding just to because proof is in the pudding and so we we launched that um as really a a curated storefront for that community and so there's a lot of exciting things that we have planned uh, coming up. We just went through a proposal process with the Lunar Society. DAO. Yeah, the community DAO and are looking forward to launching additional features that will make it a more curated experience. And, and to your point earlier about social, we'd like to make it a more social experience. Uh, right now, there are a lot of great collectors in the community and tracking what people are collecting, like who owns, which collectors own pieces from which artists is something that generally happens over like Discord or people have like different wallet tracking tools. And so uh, we think there's an opportunity to bring that more uh, to the forefront as part of that collecting experience also incentivize people collecting through the marketplace. And I think that's important in the current environment because royalties are something that aren't honored by some major exchanges and, and on pudding and all Movo storefronts, we royalties are paid on every transaction, regardless of whether the person listing it has listed it with royalties. And so some of that money comes back to the DAO and to the community, the community treasury, uh, some of the royalty money and also to artists. And so we are looking forward to ways that we can provide rewards and loyalty to the community for collecting through 
putting because by doing so they will be supporting the artists and the community itself. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, we're chatting before, there's a lot of different ways to do that, that I think are exciting that are not just uh, airdrop. airdropping you know, a bunch of NFTs or spending a lot of money just to, to financialize it, but really providing an experience or an incentive that's part of it. There's like an old Seinfeld episode about where Elaine, if any, if you watch Seinfeld, Elaine like really wants this like sandwich and <laughs> she wants a sub and she'll like do everything. And it like makes no sense that she like wants it. But like part of the experience of like collecting the like stamps is uh, part of the reward. And I think that in NFTs in general, you've seen this like kind of direct spend as being like, well, you get an NFT if you do this, or how does this make my the $50 I spent on royalties come back with $50 and 50 cents. And I think that that's maybe what some people are out for. And that's totally fine. Like, that's great. But, but also it, when people have uh, collectors have connections to these artists and to these brands, there's other ways that you can make that collecting experience and those rewards as being something that is, you know, intrinsically more valuable than the $50 and 50 cents that you're providing. Yeah, I feel like it's something that we still underutilize and underestimate a lot. The power of just access, you know, like yeah. if, if I'm a collector of your art and I can get access to you because I'm a, I'm a very supportive collector, I own like, a, I don't know, five, 10 pieces of yours. I can be put in a special chat group where, you know, I get to know you more and we get to have mm-hmm. meetups, like all that stuff. Like those are the main things that really drew me to NFTs too. You know, that that was the main point of Proof Collective too. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, I'm sure, you know, from the restaurant industry or the idea of rewards and, and access is something that's, that's native there. And I know you're experimenting with, right. And that's just like, there's a huge opportunity to provide more of that here, where if you go to a nice restaurant and they bring you, you know, a cookie or something or a moose bouche or something like that, that's like a little bit, if you, you know, that's like a reward that you get that is like costs about 50 cents for them to make but makes that experience so much more. And if you go back to that restaurant again and you get a free drink because your server recognizes you and you're a regular, that incentivizes you to go even more. I have a restaurant in in New York, my wife and I went to for six years, like once every couple of weeks. And it was really part of our identity was going to that restaurant. And we knew all the staff and like when we would go, we would get, you know, free dishes or they'd give us free, you know, cake and all different rewards because not just because, you know, we were friends, but because it was like we were going there every two weeks to spend money, right? Yeah. Made complete financial sense. So And I mean to me, NFTs is just that, but on steroids. Because you you can track you can track who are your most loyal holders. You can decide to add value after 10 years of somebody holding your token just because you want to do something cool or like a collab with another artist and airdrop them something or Tell that uh, if you collected four or five PO apps of ours, like uh, I'm talking on the restaurant side, let's say we throw events and you've been to five of our events because you're such a loyal, supportive customer. Well, we're going to throw like a special F1 party where only these uh, holders of five PO apps can attend. That kind of yeah. stuff. I, I mean, that, that that's not really trackable in a normal uh, everyday life, but now with NFTs, it's totally doable. 100%. And I, I think you, Ticketmaster is starting to try to experiment with that to an extent, which I think is interesting with Avenge Sevenfold. But I think that that provenance of collecting also provides, it provides value to the creator or brand that's providing those PO apps and that reward 
But then the benefit when it comes to an advertising perspective is also like, if I can see on the a open ledger, the people who have gone to five Maya events and gotten these co-ops, <laughs> then, mm-hmm. and I'm a, another restaurant, I can be like, hey, like, you sound like restaurant people. <laughs> I'd like also for you to be part of my, you know, that it really helps that having that data open or for the, in the case of concerts, like there's uh, similarities between people that go to, I don't know anything about Avenged Sevenfold, but like a like fish and a Humphreys McGee or something like that. Right. And <laughs> so having provenance of tickets and things, you know, opens up other opportunities for rewards and loyalties that I think is not you know targeted ads as much as it's uh rewards for people based on them meeting some criteria that they've opened up to the blockchain with putting um specifically how do you see community forming around a platform because you know we talked about marketing before obviously you're working with the proof team which already has obviously proof moonbirds oddities so they have a strong sense of building community but what are the tools that you're allowing them to use at their disposal Uh, that that can enable them to strengthen the community? Is it some sort of social aspect where, like we talked about, uh, as a holder, as a collector, you can kind of like flex what you have as a proof community member? Is it going to be an aspect where people can actually chat together on that platform in a token gated kind of room? Like, how does it, what does that look like? Yeah, not, definitely not the latter, but I think that uh, for for putting the uh, bringing value back to Moonbirds collectors and the Moonbirds brand is is the charter of of putting and so ways that we can make it more attractive to be a Moonbirds or Oddities or Proof Collective holder is something that brings value directly back to you know Proof the corporate entity and you know ways to do that are not just through the curated experience and curated selection but also offering these types of rewards and insights and, and making it more valuable to be part of a community. So to give you an example, like something that like, as opposed to like a chat, having insights into what the community is collecting and who is collecting it and what collectors are holding in a way that's much more accessible is a way that can create uh, stronger ties within that community and is more accessible than tracking everybody in discord or, or doing Wallet. everybody's wallet <laughs> yeah and i think i think that for proof is a, is a amazing at with their curated drops and the primary sales and content and kevin is an amazing content creator and the team has been really really focused on creating this content around the these primary drops that they've been you know executing up upon and have like three big ones coming up it's pretty remarkable i think that where secondary marketplaces provide value is both for ongoing engagement and attention from a community and then also for new entrants and so specifically for an ecosystem like like proof that's been around for a year and a half and has gotten more complex as they've launched if i'm somebody that's new to the ecosystem i'm like hey like i i want to collect <laughs> something navigating that is challenging even if you've entered as a moonbird and you say oh well they had the heart you curated drop or proof X drop last year. I want one of those that's navigating to heart you trying to find the link, looking on OpenSea, And so having a spot where people that are part of the community can ongoing engage and like bolster their identity as part of the community is, is a, 
is valuable and stickier from like from a retention perspective, both an access and a acquisition and retention perspective. And so, uh, really, I think of it as more if you you know, marketing wise, it's like pull marketing as opposed to push marketing, right? It's like um, how people will enter through it um, as opposed to you know these primary drops, which which are great for acquisition, but also is something that like, as part of the community, you look forward to. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if my, if my, when my mom wants a moonbird someday, <laughs> knock on wood, uh, you know, <laughs> it'll be way easier than her trying to navigate on OpenSea, which I would think that she would probably just, uh, you know, not to knock OpenSea, but I mean, she would just like be like, I have no idea what I'm looking at right now. This is like, yeah. uh, daunting. I don't see the moonbirds. I see a bunch of different, you know, things flying around everywhere in numbers. It's funny as much as we, you know, because we spent, uh, you know, a year, two years, three years in space, we become accustomed to these things. And we think that that's the norm. Whereas like when you show this yeah. to someone that's never interacted with OpenSea or never interacted with a ledger, they're like, what the hell is this? Like, uh, is this yeah. even safe? You know? No. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, that, and that's, it's really not like a, for like an open season example, it, it's it's not like it's a bad for what it is. It's just that it's like, you know, somebody that you want to suggest buying a Hermes bag and like sending them to Amazon. And they're like, wait, like trying to get sold on like Echoes and like Alexa and like bananas and like buy this Hermes bag. Like maybe maybe I don't want to buy my Hermes bag here. Um yeah. Or, or they don't know what Hermes is and they're like, why'd you recommend this Amazon bag to me? <laughs> you know? So I think that that's just, it's just a different experience, right? But I think it's always a good idea from a marketing perspective. If you're trying to sell something, if you're trying to get someone to take action, to make it as easy and as frictionless as possible. And with what you're building, with pudding, with Mobo, I think, you know, you are delivering value in that way. So I'm excited to see what you're going to be building um, with, you know, the years to come in the months to come. Is there is there some place that people can find or learn more about putting about Mobo and like keeping up with the daily updates that or weekly updates that you would put out? Yeah, so so uh, for putting it's putting.xyz and our socials are linked on the on the site for uh, Twitter and Discord. And then for Mobo is mobo.xyz and you can find Mobo on Twitter or you can just shoot me a DM at at Kyle P. Nelson or follow me and I'll keep you, keep everybody posted. Awesome. Well, Kyle, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and uh, I'll see you in NYC next week. See you next week. Thanks so much for having me on, Martin. It's been a great conversation. That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please consider leaving a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, or any other platform you're listening on. Your feedback is always super helpful. So if you take 13 to 35 seconds of your time to share some thoughts with me, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening and until next time.